Hey Steve, this is Matt from Kingswinford over in the UK. Small town, just a little bit west of Birmingham. And that's the correct way to pronounce it for any of you American listeners. Um, just thought I'd drop you a note, really. I'm, I'm a road cyclist, really, but getting more into the off-road, enjoying off-road podcasts. Um, yeah, one, yours is one of my favourites. It's great. Great for uh, journeys in the car at work. Um, keep it up, by the way. I'm sure I'm not the only one who who loves a two-hour ramble. It's... Uh, it's great, you know, and there's always something relevant to talk talk about, and you're a natural orator, so, um, yeah, keep it up. Um, yeah, fairly new to off-road, got myself a Santa Cruz chameleon, it's, it's amazing, it just goes, goes everywhere, up, down, bumpy, currently cruising on the canal, Friday night, had a, you know, busy week of work, so. Just a little unwind for an hour. Um, yeah, but uh, 33 and said to my wife, I'd love to do the Great Divide uh, when I'm 40. So I've got, what, six and a half, seven years of training to do. I think that should give me enough time to do a bit more off-road. But keep up the good work, mate, and uh, yeah, catch up with you soon. Hello again, friends. Welcome to My Back 40 and the My Back 40 podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. Matt, thanks so much for that voice intro. Love hearing from you all the way from Birmingham. And yeah, I don't blame you for maybe wanting to spend a bit more time off-road. Um, the road is not has never really been that appealing to me. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's the one reason why I love bikepacking and bikepack adventures and bikepack racing. It's just because you're, it takes you away from all that. And uh, I know thousands of kilometers I put on the divide. I don't think I had one weird encounter with a vehicle. And I know that's not the case for, for many. Josh Cotto, Jay Peterberry <laughs> most recently. Um, and, and there's tons of stories about people getting smoked by cars. But it hasn't. luckily it hasn't been my experience. Uh, I know I've been on a couple races where people are a little uh, driving a little recklessly. And I've actually been sprayed with gravel. Uh, that can happen sometimes, which kind of sucks, gravel and dust. But overall, I think it's much, much safer being off-road. So, Matt, thanks for that voice intro. Excuse me. Frog in the throat. Um, thanks for that voice intro. And if you want to send me one, just whip out your device, record me something, and send it to myback40podcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Um, you can also send me guest suggestions, uh, feedback, um, or just reach out and shoot the shit. Um, that's one of the ways that I've developed some really great relationships with some of the people in my, in my community is, is people just DMing me and, you know, we're talking about a podcast and maybe resonated with a topic and we can get into a discussion about it. And, and, uh, yeah, there's still a handful of people that I, that I, uh, converse with off and on. So yeah, don't be shy. My back 40 podcast at gmail.com. I went for a great fat bike ride yesterday. It's funny. Um, I've had this experience, you know, I've been on fat bikes for maybe a decade now. And as grooming becomes um, more popular and grooming's great. Don't get me wrong. I love, I love riding the, uh, the groomers that, that get laid down, laid down, laid down here in the Kootenays 
And I love and appreciate the volunteers that do that part, part of the Columbia Valley cycling society. Um, but sometimes IE lately when it's been like plus five, uh, you can't ride the groomers anymore because they're too soft and you're going to wreck them. And I think there's a bit of a trail etiquette around that. You know, we, we, we pick our battles, you know, if it's going to be a super warm day, best to stay off the groomers, you know, let them harden up. Or if you're going to do it, do it in the morning. Like if you're an early morning rider, do it when it's still below freezing and uh, those trails will stay intact, but it doesn't mean you can't go on an adventure. And so yesterday I went and rode one of my local, one of my favorite loops and, um, there'd been some foot traffic on it, but there'd been no bike traffic. And I find it shocking that people aren't getting out and exploring a bit more. It's hard. (laughs) It's definitely a lot harder. I think I pushed, I maybe walked one climb maybe, um, in that loop. It was, it was only 10 K, but it felt like 50 because, um, it was a low PSI day. So just rolling around on flat tires, um, you know, it's funny. I, I I brought a microphone and a really good friend got me and I tried to record some intros while I was riding and it didn't, it didn't really work. So here I am talking on the mic as usual. <clears throat> but, um, it's, uh, one, one thing I was talking about is the one thing I really love about fat biking is you really have to adjust your expectations. You're not going fast necessarily. If you're on groomers, sure. If it's cold and you're on a groomer and the traction's good and you can run harder tires, that's great. But sometimes it's it's nice just to get out into the woods and go for a little adventure and follow an old trail that hasn't been um, trodden on yet. And there's no tracks on it. And there's no, there might be animal tracks on it. That was the case yesterday. And I had a blast. It's kind of like, you know, the difference between, you know, driving to the store in your grocery getter and, you know, jeeping in Utah. You know, it's, 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 it's hard. And for me, fat biking often is, is more about cleaning sections than, uh, actually traversing sections quickly, you know what I mean? So it becomes a bit of a challenge. And I think what it does is it really, it's really good for your slow speed balance practice. Um, uh, learning how to, um, traction the tires correctly, you know, using the right gear and using the right weight distribution and whatnot to, to get up certain climbs. But, um, yeah, so I had a great ride yesterday and what was really shocking too, what was it? February 1st yesterday. And there was dirt. <clears throat> there were sections of that trail that were just all dirt. And mind you, they were exposed. They were south-facing slopes. So they are getting a lot of sun. And with the warm temperatures, um, and it th- wasn't muddy. They were like dirt, hard-packed dirt trails. And um, it, ma- it made me think back to, you know, all these times since I've been out in the Kootenays, just how I'm noticing um, how winters are just changing. Like every year. From my experiences, sure, we still get the cold, but we don't get the snowpack, which is, which is, um, apparent with the fires that we're getting in the summers. And I'm just seeing this slow winter transition. And I hate being grim, um, but it's just, it's so apparent <laughs> that there's some climate change going on. Um, and especially when you can notice it. Um, in like a short period of time, like a decade, or I've been out here for what? Well, I guess almost 14 years or 14 years, actually 13, 14, 14. Um, so I've just, I've noticed it. And I, and I feel like if you can notice it, um, in your own perception over a 10 year period, how much the environment has changed, there's something going on. Um, and that's just all the science aside. 
Um, you know, I was back in Ontario visiting my mom last week or the week before, and uh, the same experience there. There's not a lot of snow, more snow than here, actually, in the Rockies, but not not a ton of snow, and the temperatures were, weren't really that cold, and, and when it does get cold, it's not for very long. Um, I was actually riding without pogies the last couple weeks because the temperatures haven't been that great, so or that cold, so it hasn't been a problem. But um, yeah, this is just something I noticed yesterday. But what I would encourage, I digress, I'd encourage people, like, yeah, get on your fat bike, and go explore a trail that you haven't ridden, you know. And especially if the snowpack's not very deep, then yeah, you'd, you'd be surprised where you can go on um, on squishy tires. How far you can go and punch yourself into the woods. It's pretty awesome. I love it. Love fat biking. Another thing that came up to me the other day was um, I, I actually I, I experienced this physiological response to a piece of music. And I haven't been riding with my headphones lately. And that's for me, I think it's a little bit of a, it's a mental health exercise actually, because personally, I know that I pop the headphones in to escape, um, to distract, uh, to um, throw a veil over whatever monkey mind thoughts I have going on in my head. <clears throat> but lately I haven't really been doing that. I've, I've been trying to, to uh, just enjoy and, and, and for someone like me who wears headphones a lot, it's an adjustment. It's it's quite an adjustment too, because I because I think about it. Sometimes I'll just leave them at home, and I'll head out for a ride, and, and I think, oh, I forgot my headphones. It's like, no, you didn't. You did it intentionally. And sometimes you want those. I want those buds in because yeah, sometimes my mind goes off on a ramble, and and I don't dig it, and I'm looking for that distraction. So, um, but what I did do is is I you know I have this uh, great. Um, it's called the the body b o d d i body perhaps um, from Blavette Sports. It's like a harness you wear on your chest, so your phone sits on your chest. And what's kind of, what's kind of cool about that is you know you can just you can just turn music on on my iPhone and just listen to it. So um, I was listening to and and I've I've actually put this song on the podcast before. And and actually a, a quick tangent, I really used to love putting music on the podcast, um, but I got nailed a couple times for. Uh, copyright infringement. Um, not I wasn't sued or anything, but just like you need to take this down because it has copyrighted material in it. And I was inspired from another podcast that I listened to, and this this dude does it all the time. He puts music in, and I'm not sure how he um, circumnavigates that that issue. Um, the angle I come at it with is like I always link to the song, like I always link out to Spotify to um, to promote that artist. Uh, you know, into into um, give credit for the music that I'm playing, but I guess I get it. I mean, in, in this world of of art, especially music, where you know a lot of these um, bands and artists aren't really <laughs> getting paid what they deserve. You know, I remember back in the day, the whole like, um, you know, the industry didn't even want to put out double double head cassette players because they knew people were gonna start scraping tapes right but um so so i get it but anyway blah blah blah. i'm going off on a tangent just kind of sucks that i can't put music in the podcast anymore because i thought it added a really cool element but this one song it's a the mark lidieri band and they do a cover of everybody wants to rule the world i've put it on here before and it's um 
it's an instrumental. There's no lyrics in it. But this song came up as, as I was writing. And that particular song, I spent a lot of time with that song when I did the BC Epic Yo-Yo a couple of years back. <clears throat> I would loop it. Um, one is it's just a really pretty song just the way it's it's uh the the um the composition of it the it's just really i just really dig it and it has this really great rhythm to it like if you know the song just has this like really really great rhythm to it and i would use it to help me kind of get into um a space to just like punch out kilometers just punch them out not really think too much about it but it was amazing I was, that song came up and my, my body instantly i felt very familiar dropping into this certain pace and this certain mindset it's almost like my brain waves changed to accommodate uh, not to accommodate to in in response to the song i was listening to and i thought that was just so fascinating um and it wasn't i wasn't playing it in my buds it was just like sitting on my chest playing but I was still able to, it, it actually threw me back to those moments of, you know, riding through the, through, along some, some rail grade for hours, just, just trying to, just trying to get that shit over with <laughs> and just standing and pedaling to that song and, and just having it loop over and over. It sounds weird, but, um, you know, it's a, when it's two in the morning, everything's kind of weird. So um, anyway, I just wanted to speak to that and I'm sure other people have had that experience, but it's just it's really fascinating to me how, how music can, can tie in to our physiology so deeply. And not only that, but even elicit a, an emotional response. Um, I mean, it's the same thing. Our, 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 our brains are so crazy. Like you'll, you'll pick up an aroma and it'll take you right back to Christmas when you were six years old. Or it'll take you right to that camping trip where you just smell the forest, you know. Um, it's interesting how our minds kind of hook into those sounds and, and aromas and can just basically time travel us back to a moment in our past. I just, I find it so fascinating. Um, anyway, that's all I really want to share about the music thing. I just thought it was kind of rad. Um, the other thing I want to share with you is... Um, the other day I was out riding the coach road. So I've put it out there to the universe a couple times. I haven't been promoting it as heavily as I probably should um, because there's just some things to work out still. But I want to raise a bit of money for Heads Up Guys. So um, Heads Up Guys is a mental, uh, a men's mental health organization. And it's uh, headed up by John Agrodnachuk, who is the psychiatric, um, he's the head of the psychi psychiatric department at UBC. And he started this um nonprofit organization to help men. So if you haven't, just Google heads up guys and you'll find it right away. I want to raise some money for them. And in the past, what I've done, for instance, raising money from the Saka Cycling Club is I just went and did something crazy and asked you guys to give money to this organization. So what I what I'd like to do, what I'm going to do in the next well, in three weeks, is I'm going to hop on my bike and on uh it was initially going to be 24 hours on Lake Windermere. That's becoming um, <clears throat> too sketchy. It's it's just with the weather and um, in three weeks, there could be open water on the lake at, at this rate. So I need to change the venue. I really wanted to do it on the lake because I thought it'd be really unique. But now I'm going to do it on the coach road. So it's basically a, a 10K, a little less than actually strip of trail that goes from Dry Gulch 
um, in Invermere to Radium Hot Springs. And I'm going to ride laps of that for 24 hours. And what I'd like, would it be really rad? So that's on February 17th and 18th, uh, starting at noon, riding to noon. What would be really cool is anyone who hears this who might be in the region might want to come out and ride with me a little bit. So I'm doing it not only to raise awareness for Heads Up Guys and to raise some money for them, but I also want to raise awareness for the not-for-profit trail advocacy group I work for, Columbia Valley Greenways Trail Alliance, CV Greenways, at CV Greenways on uh, Instagram. And, you know, I want to thank a whole pile of you out there who've started following the account. I see you. I see you coming in because I manage that account. And I want to thank you. Um, it's part of my role is to to raise awareness and to uh, to raise um, um passion over trail ad- advocacy in small communities because I think that when a community gives the, their population a place to recreate safely, it basically just builds a better society. People are more mentally well. They're more physically well. Um, you know, they, that you can spin that off into all sorts of different directions. You know, what comes to mind for me is just um, people who are uh, in a better uh, mental health situation or physiological health situation or uh, just um, put less strain on those services that are in their society. And I think we could all use to get out. <laughs> we could all use an excuse to get out and be in nature and 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 um, just, just take care of ourselves. Self-love, right, is what it's all about. So um, Columbia Valley Greenways Trail Alliance, they've built the Westside Legacy Trail, similar to a trail that goes between Canmore and Banff, that kind of thing. This one goes between uh, Radium Hot Springs and Fairmont Hot Springs. There's sections along the trail that need to be worked on. Um, um, the, the politics around getting these trails created is is uh, complex, to say the least. So um, by raising awareness to what CB Greenways is doing, we're hoping that we can create um, more of a um, generate more attention to the Columbia Valley and the importance of trails and that this can just lead out to, to any community you live in. So if there's a group in your community that is uh, fighting for trail advocacy, support that group. And so in this case, I'm not really asking you to donate any money to Columbia Valley Greenways because everyone's asking for everyone for money right now. Support me, the My Back 40 podcast, become a Patreon. Um, you know, give money to Heads Up Guys. Uh, support Columbia Valley Greenways Trail Alliance. You know, there's the 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 money bags are only so deep. So I'm not asking for that. What I'm asking you to do primarily is to give money to Heads Up Guys um, to support that amazing organization that's helping men's mental health, but also just you know follow CV Greenways and just see what we're up to here in the Columbia Valley because we've got some great trail groups here we've got amazing especially in the winter like we've got great cross-country skiing um up at panorama up at lake lillian on the lake when there's snow unfortunately that's not the case uh, nipica mountain resort we've got great fat biking the bike club the columbia valley cycling society they have a couple volunteers that groom trails with uh they have a couple snow dogs and <clears throat> it's an amazing place to come riding in the winter 30 30 plus 30 to 50k when you combine all the stuff up on the Lake Lillian benches there, the uh, the Toby Creek bench. Um, there's tons and tons and tons of riding up there. So we've got some great passionate trail groups in town. And um, yeah, that's all I want to say about it. So that's my plan. Um, I already have someone supporting me. Crazy Souls and Invermere is going to, as she says, keep me sugared up. 
So I'm um, hopefully I'll get a bag of tail. She's going to support me um, nutritionally. So hopefully, you know, get a bag of tailwind from her and that'll keep me rolling for the most part. And I'm hoping that I haven't checked it out yet. I'm hoping there's a 24 hour gas station in radium that I can hit up for resupply from time to time. I'm not sending any distance records. I'm not sending any speed records. What I'm, what I'm doing is just going out and riding my bike and I hope some people will come along with me. So mark your calendars, come to the Columbia Valley. It's actually family day, long weekend in BC. So um, put that in your calendars. If you happen to be in the Columbia Valley, look for me out of the coach road, uh, riding laps of that between coach road and radium hot springs for 24 hours. Come out, bring your lights, spend some time with me because God knows I'm going to need some company out there <laughs> it's gonna get i think that's gonna be the hardest part you know this trail based on the lake the lake is flat so you know you're not going to really um you know physically it's not really that difficult although it's a lot of seating time right you're gonna you're gonna be in the saddle a lot riding the flats of the lake the difference riding uh, the coach road is it's a two track um it's ups and downs i think it'll be a lot more interesting the views will be better um, and I don't have to worry so much about falling through the lake and drowning. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. Um, and like I said before, like at this point, I'm just not even sure what state the lake's going to be in. So anyway, yeah, come out and ride with me F February 17th to 18th, noon to noon on the coach road. Um, if you just Google that, just, uh, in Vermeer coach road, you'll find it, you'll find a pin and I'm hoping to have my, my, um, car in the parking lot with, with a friend hanging out with me and a cooler full of snacks and um, yeah, just go and ride bikes. So this podcast is with Doug Dunlop. Doug and I had a chat, uh, geez, would have been a month ago, a couple months ago. And there's a lot of things going on for Doug and we're going to talk about it in the podcast, but, but it just, the conversation, I, I, I haven't done it very often. I think I've done it one other time where the conversation just didn't didn't land. It didn't represent, and it's funny, in this podcast you'll hear us, we're both apologizing to one another because I felt like I didn't give Doug enough framework or enough of a foundation to have a conversation upon. And Doug was apologizing because he just wasn't in the mental space to have this conversation. So um, we connected again for an in-person chat at his uh, little weekend pad or his family has a weekend pad in Radium Hot Springs. So we got together and uh, he and Tanya and I hung out and chatted and uh, had dinner there, which was great. Doug and I went for a beer. Um, it was really nice to uh, hang out and um, see Doug. You know, like I say, a lot of my community is so remote and I don't get the chance to meet people in real life and especially have a conversation in real life. So this was really special. So um, I hope you I hope you dig it. We talk about um, Silk Road Mountain Race. We talk about um, the passing of his mother, uh, unfortunately, and how that led uh, him or lit the fire under him to to live for adventure and to stop waiting for a better time or date or financial situation or whatever to do things. It's just to get out there and do it because. Honestly, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So um, if anything, this podcast says, get off your ass, get out there and do some stuff. Do the stuff you want to do. Adventure, live, um, write stories, um, and enjoy. So I really hope you dig this podcast with Doug Dunlop. It's a long time coming. And without further delay, here's at Cold Bike, Doug Dunlop. Yeah, right? And it's it's just it just doesn't have Samsung on it. 
and it's yeah. cheaper. Like it's just so much cheaper. Yeah. yeah. Although there's some stuff like um, Shimano stuff off Amazon is all counterfeit. The which stuff? Shimano. We had a. Oh really? Yeah, we've had a couple of customers come in, and their box that their Shimano chain came in says Shimano on it. That chain has Shim the chain has Shimano um, stamped on it. Yeah. And it anybody who knows Shimano chains knows that it's not what it says. Is it the way the plates are stamped? The the way the plates are stamped and and just like the whole shape of the chain and the mm -hmm. fact that it doesn't meet up with the shift ramps on Shimano cassettes and stuff. So what would they be? Like just just they, some off brand. Some some off 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 brand um, who bought themselves a, a stamp that said Shimano on it and. Yeah, we've we've had a few customers come in. Why doesn't my brand new Shimano chain shift on my nice drivetrain? And then the uh, these same customers will uh, will be like, I you know I bought it off Amazon, and it says Shimano on it. And we're like, yeah, this totally isn't Shimano. <laughs> That's a good opener to this podcast. That's interesting. I, I, hadn't, I had no idea that that was happening. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of counterfeit stuff. Uh, I've seen SRAM counterfeit stuff, Shimano counterfeit stuff, and a few like others. Exclusively just chains or like derailers and shifting? And I've seen one counterfeit Shimano derailer and a bunch of chains, a few other things. Like well, I wonder if it's these... Uh, small one-off companies seeing over COVID the lack of supply, yeah. chain, supply chain issues. I mean, they're yeah. unattended, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Jumping on board. Just, yeah, cashing in. And, uh, Interesting. yeah, and then people want us to warranty it. Um, even even though they bought it online and it's clearly counterfeit, they're like, oh, just warranty it through Shimano. And I'm like, Shimano's not going to warranty that because it's obviously not. It's amazing how um, um, how stuff is so um, enmeshed, like in terms of chain cassettes, rings. Yeah. Like, you can't... Can you mix match any of this stuff? I'm so not a, a gearhead. I, I've been a SRAM person for forever, and I know everyone's like, boo, SRAM, whatever, but I don't know. It works for me. I'm yeah. I've never had an issue with it. Yeah, SRAM has definitely made huge inroads into the mountain bike world because even though their shifting is, like their electronic shifting is slower than Shimano's, but um, it it has a wider range than Shimano's electronic shifting and it's um, wireless. Um, so as bikes get to be more and more tightly integrated, more, you know, you can hardly buy a bike now that doesn't have routing through the frame and not all of them have tubes through the frame. So rather than fi shifting, you know, fishing a wire through the frame, you can, uh, use the SRAM wireless stuff and it just works. I guess so. I hear a lot of people having trouble with wireless stuff, like on big tours. Yeah, I think most of that is, it's like anything, lack of preparation, where, you know, you go in with your two-year-old battery, and it's your only battery, mm -hmm. and then you 
have to try and charge it while you're on the bike and you don't have a battery bank. Um, I, I took electronic shifting, SRAM electronic shifting to Kyrgyzstan. You did, eh? And uh, partly at Lail Wilcox's recommendation, she said, Doug, you're like 45 years old. Thank you, Lail. <laughs> um, your thumbs are going to be really sore by uh, day three if you're pushing a manual shifter through, uh, you know, for 16 hours a day. Really, though, you're going to get sore thumbs from shifting oh, a, a guy like you sure. who lives on your bike? For you? sure, for sure. I, I've, you know, I, I've had it before where I'll go for like a weekend where it's like, you know, a lot of up and down, a lot of shifting. And yeah, I noticed the, the pain in the, in, you know, sore thumbs and, and sore fingers because you can't move your hands around as much. Getting old sucks, eh? It does. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know if there is. I'd I'd have to, I'd have to look that up, because, um, yeah, I I did take yoga instructor training, and there was nothing thumb specific in that. <laughs> my buddy, uh, I sent my buddy um, Tim Wagner. I spent a lot of time with Tim on the divide, and I sent him. A, he bought a shirt, so I sent him a shirt, and he sends me this video. And he does, uh, I can't remember the name of the move, but he uh, sets his camera up. He's wearing the shirt. He does like a little prop up kind of handstand on his knees, pushes up into a full handstand, does a couple push ups. He's a yoga instructor. Right. And he just he goes, Oh, the shirt's great. Lots of mobility in the arms. <laughs> I'm like, Dude, I need to do yoga. Like, just the strength. Like, yeah. Straight feet, straight in the air, you know, not wavering, just like super strong, like this guy. Yeah, a big a big chunk of that is is learning the balance and that of it, and, doing it and yeah, doing it every day for sure yeah. makes a huge difference. How was the fat biking? It was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, so you came out here to Invermere and rode on Lake Invermere. Yeah. So um, Guy and I have done it a, a few years together. Um, the first time we tricked my kids into going. Um, <laughs> And we we did a tour of the um, what guy called the fat um, the fat Vikings elbow where we did uh, a tour of the elbow upper mm. elbow, elbow valley, um, and um, that was a lot of fun. We brought uh, my kids and Tig's girlfriend, I think. Oh no, Tig's friend Adam came on that one, and uh, yeah, guy tagged at the uh, fat Vikings elbow. Nice. Um, so how did this year go? So this year, because uh, Guy is waiting on surgery, he did not want to do anything with hills. The lake is dead flat. Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really, you know, it worked out really well because, you know, we could just kick off lap after lap after lap. Um, conditions where there is snow uh, this year because it got so warm conditions around Calgary like the elbow loop would have been totally unrideable mm -hmm. some friends of mine went out to um, Blackfoot Provincial Park mm -hmm. um, the trail there was totally unrideable they ended up going back and riding uh, in Edmonton somewhere Dean and Kristen went out there yeah, right? yeah. and then um, Trish Holt uh, went back to Devon uh, same story 
you know, if you can't ride the trails, she went back to uh, her home trails and, and rode around there. She put in her 150. And, uh, yeah, so then Guy and I just, yeah, rode, uh, rode laps of the lake and had a great time. And then um, he quit. He didn't want to ride in the dark, so he quit uh, just before dark on Friday. I did a couple more hours, and um, that way I could sleep in on Saturday morning. <laughs> you know, riding on the lake in the dark is magical. Yeah. <laughs> was it yeah. clear that night? It was not as clear as would have been ideal, but um, when the moon poked out, like nearly full moon, so when the moon did poke out, it was, you know, you could turn off your lights and just ride. And, um, yeah, it was it was super cool. Um, and it's a great way to see the valley. I've been spending a bit of time on the lake, because if I'm going to, I'm going to interject just quickly. So I just want to, I think I've alluded to this anyway, but um, my plan is on February 17th and 18th. Yeah. I'm going to hopefully hit the lake. I need to find a plan B because it's been very mild, but I'm going to ride for 24 hours and I'm riding to raise money for Heads Up Guys. So people who are listening to this right now, head out to um, to search Heads Up Guys on the internet. They're a men's mental health organization helping a lot of men um, with finding tools to be able to navigate mental health issues that we have so i'm i'm raising money for them uh, don't send me any money send them money awesome <laughs> um and then i'm also trying to raise a bit of awareness towards a membership program that uh, the company i'm working for here in engineer um, columbia valley greenways trail alliance we're uh, basically aligned with um, a lot of the different trail user groups in the in the valley and, and for that i just i just like people to head over to instagram and follow them uh, at cv greenways do me a favor and do that actually was able to get quite a few followers doing that so that's my plan i wasn't able to do the fat biking because i have my kiddos and uh but i'm, I'm hopefully i don't know how many k i'm going to be able to do in 24 hours if i ride the lake but i'm yeah i, I got <laughs> yeah i got i gotta figure i gotta figure you can you can put in uh yeah, I mean, if conditions are as good as we had for our, so today you would have gotten none yeah. because there's about two inches of water on it. But um, yesterday and the day before, um, we were easily, easily maintaining fifteen uh, k an hour ish pace on fat bikes. Yeah, I might ride timber. You, you, you yeah. own me a set of. T what are they? What are the tires you own? Uh, Forty five North Cavas. Yeah, that that would be way better because the strain on a half bike, uh, 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 fat bike is so much higher. Yeah, yeah, the the rolling resistance on a fat bike, um, even though um, wider tires usually, all else being equal, wider tires will have a lower rolling resistance. Mm -hmm. um, by the time you get to fat bike size, there's other factors at play like sheer width and and the um the contact patch on the ground is big enough the rolling resistance kind of goes up right um and uh yeah your weight is way way higher so i just wanted to interject that thing and just like taking advantage of this to tell people about my 24-hour ride so um, the plan b today doug and i were hopefully gonna ride to coach road but it's raining <laughs> so we yeah. decided not to ride in the rain today <laughs> sloppy sloppy day
So you did 150k over two days. Where did you ride the second day? Uh, second day, same thing on the lake. We just we just uh, pumped out the uh, the K from from Kin Beach there, and uh, rode circles on the lake. And uh, we there was a there was a pair of eagles at the far end of the lake yeah. there that were hanging out there. Um, Where the water inlet comes in, or does it happen to be around there? Uh, they were. Yeah, they were kind of yeah across from from Windermere on the west side of the lake where the water comes in. But we suspect there may also have been um, ice fishermen um, mm. sort of uh, le- leaving behind uh, heads and guts <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there was there was a couple of spots where you know eagles clearly couldn't be fishing, but they were hanging out eating something. Talking to a friend today, this kind of leads into this. You know, we're talking about climate, we're talking about the rain, the fog, the lake, the idea of uh, eco anxiety. You ever feel that? For, for sure. Um, there's um, there's uh, there's an organization of of winter athletes. Um, they're called um, Protect Our Winters POW, and uh, they sort of are dedicated to that. Um, where they're they're looking to you know protect our winters because they they love snowboarding skiing whatever winter sports and you can't do winter sports if you don't have winter if you don't have snow if you don't have whatever do on um you know if you don't have winter you, you can't do winter sports yeah it just seems like ever since i've moved to invermere and I've, I've, I've mentioned it to people when i first moved here it was cold it was snowy um and yeah, we still get snowy and cold weather here, but it just seems to be on the decline. Like the, the snowpack over time, and I think you can see that correlate with with fires, right? Like yeah. The, the the forest fire danger around here, and it's encroaching further and f- uh, closer and closer to Invermere, and it just seems like, um, yeah. And then this year's no better. You look in the mountains, just not a, not a lot of snow. Pack. Yeah, not a lot of snow. People who who like to ski are uh, complaining this year, and we've seen I, I work at a bike shop so um i've uh i've seen a number of people come into the bike shop this year that um they they're just looking to um grab a fat bike because even if you don't have snow you can usually fat bike um if there's not enough snow for skiing sometimes you mm. can you can fat bike on where there would ordinarily be a ski trail is just you know a uh a trail of um you know thin snow cover or ice or whatever and you know fat bike's perfect for that yeah it's just it's just been really interesting in the last few years just watching the climate change and it seems to be happening at a you know exponentially year to year it just seems to be and, and who knows it could turn around but yeah it's just yeah it's just been getting me and just like just like now as i want to do this ride on the lake and right now the the lake's probably thawing out so this is the whole idea of trying to find a plan B for this this thing I want to do. But it just made me think about, you know, after my friend was talking to me about that that idea of eco-anxiety and how there's really nothing. We, we can do our own. We, we can pull our own weight in doing that. Yeah. And trying to drive less or, you know, reuse, recycle, you know, just, just have less of an impact ourselves. But we can really only do so much. Yeah, I, I always think, you know, do what you can. And, uh, you know, aim to, 
aim to help where you can and and uh you know it's it's the the classic the the serenity prayer uh mm-hmm. you know <laughs> god help me to change the things i can and to yeah. accept the things i can't yeah. and you know i'm i'm with that all the way like you know if uh you know where i can have an effect i will and where i can't i i you know i mean I'm as anxious as the next guy, maybe more. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I try and uh, try and avoid it. Yeah, I know. Just try to, you know, do what you can. Be present, day by day. You know, just just try to get through it and yeah, do the best you can. Right. Um, so what else about the fat biking? You said you were getting a sore ass sit, sitting on your saddle for so long on that flat lake. Yeah, I um. You know, because it's it's repetitive strain, right? It's uh, the same motion over and over again. Whereas when you're in the mountains, you kind of shift around a bit on the saddle a little more, anyway. And we were talking about how you like like shift up and stand just so you can like change your position. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and also, I mean, I have a couple of saddles that I know work really well for me. For some reason, I've changed out every other component on that bike except the saddle. Yeah, that's the thing. If it works, <laughs> well, I, it doesn't. Oh, okay. so <laughs> I, my 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 ass was sore, um, but n- not not crazy sore. Not like you know people uh, you know talk about not being able to sit down for uh, two days after a ride. That's you know that's not the level of sore we're talking. We're talking you know oh my you know kind of my butt hurts, um, whereas. You know, if I'd chosen one of my good saddles, um, I, I, you know, I, I changed out the wheels on that bike. I changed out the drivetrain on that bike. I changed out the brakes, everything. Um, yeah. And, uh, for some reason, you know, after changing out everything like dropper post and, and I put the stock saddle back on the aftermarket dropper post, (laughs) just dumb. Man, after that, a couple of years back after that, I did that yo-yo. It was kind of the same thing. I kept everything the same. No, sorry. I changed, I, I, you know, I, I basically moved. I kept everything the same on, on the, on the bike. I had the rolling bill then, and I brought the saddle over from my, my fat bike and put it on the rolling bill rather than my Southern Automaton, which I was pretty religious about riding that thing. And I literally, that last day of riding, stood all day. Yeah. Yeah. Just big gears. Like I, I stood and pedaled literally all day because every time I tried to put my ass down, I wasn't happy. It was, it was, yeah, had had to be burning. No, it was shredded, dude. And yeah. and you you had some crazy heat on that trip, oh, which it, always like the extra sweat makes the shredding even more effective. You, know, you it, feel the salt, right? yeah, shredding away at your skin. And uh, yeah, it's it's there's there's no no getting around that 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 happened to me to uh in a very similar way on the uh iti because my first three days on it were so warm that um my my butt was kind of you know sweating more than than it usually would be on a winter trip and uh you know sure maybe i hadn't dialed in my uh my um you know clothing and and layering system as well as you know now my my 
absolute edict is, you know, no sweating. If I feel myself starting to to sweat, I will shed a layer. I'll open a zipper. Mm, I'll, especially in the winter. Yeah, especially in the winter. Um, so, yeah, my my butt was, I, I had fearsome saddle sores on the ITI. And so it was almost a blessing when on my second last day, I bent my seat post and so i i was really scared of putting any weight on my uh on my saddle um and and it was almost a blessing because it was painful to <laughs> sit on it <laughs> oh, i can't sit anyway so but you, you, that's funny you learn right you learn from these things and then on the divide i finished i could have turned around and went back my ass felt great yeah and i think it was that you know i had a seven mesh shin down as well which helped a lot and and loads of bag bomb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I um when it, when I got back from from uh from Kyrgyzstan, my my hands, my ass, e- every contact point, everything felt great. Yeah. Um my my toes had a little bit of numbness cuz I wore different than my usual shoes, but um yeah, o- overall I was in great shape. Yeah, could have could have kept on going for another, you know, 2000k no problem. Well, let's get into that. So I think the the two topics primarily we wanted to talk about is is and I think they actually tie into into one another chronologically is um, the loss of your mom. Yeah. And how that I think maybe tied into your desire to maybe adventure. So is that, is that right in making that assumption? So, sort of, yeah. You're an adventurous dude anyway, but I think it might have lit you up a bit more. To... Yeah. It, so start where you want to start and talk about that. Yeah, it, it definitely lit me up. Um, I had in the past not really realized the extent to which my mom um, did adventure. I, I sort of you know, viewed it from the outside where I'm a, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. Um, and she sort of bit off more uh, adventures that she could take. Now she did, she's, you know, canoed the Boron Lakes. She's, um, been on like some, some pretty serious outdoor activity adventures and stuff. Um, and I kind of, you know, like, my teenage self sort of looked upon that as like, you know, sure, that's, that's a, you know, that's an adventure, but it's kind of an everyday adventure. Um, and I, I didn't really put enough, um, credibility into the, the level of, um, of out of her comfort zone that, that she was getting. And, um, and she did, she, she got, frequently out of her comfort zone and she she was adventurous just in a different way that I am and so she had kidney cancer for a long time and it later metastasized into her spine and so I knew for the last more than a year that she was dying 
you know, didn't know when, but knew that she was, you know, in the process of dying. And she said, well, you know, I've had a good life. I did everything I wanted to. Um, if I could afford it, I just did it. I didn't save up for, didn't save up my things to do on a bucket list for after I retired. Mm -hmm. Didn't save up the things I wanted to do until I, you know, felt it was the right time. She just did what she wanted to do, whether that be, you know, go to Europe, go to um, Mexico, go canoe the Boron Lakes. Um, and so she, she died being very satisfied that she had had a, a full and complete life. And I, I started seeing that more and more, you know, in her, probably her last six months. Um, now I had, I had signed up to, so I, I was on the waiting list for the, for the ITI. Right. I remember that. Um, I, I had actually, you know, I had signed a, an application. I, I heard somewhere that they, they had gotten about 4,000 applicants wow. and they have 75 positions of which 25 are the, the thousand mile race, uh, which is what I want to do. Um, so I'm, I'm not shocked that I didn't get in, but, um, when, when that fell through, I signed up for a Silk Road mountain race because it looked to me like, um, you know, just a super adventure mm -hmm. and way outside my, my comfort zone, um, way outside of my experience and I figured if I was going to go far to go on a you know an adventure kind of race I really wanted to go all out and um, yeah definitely uh, Silk Road Mountain Race ticks all those boxes and um, but my mom was was on the steady decline at that point so i you know i talked to her and like there there was a very real chance that she could have died while i was gone um and i didn't know how i would feel about that but um you know so i asked her about it and she said you know like i i didn't wait to do things until you know if you're sitting around waiting for somebody to die so that you can go on an adventure then you're not doing them any favors yeah it doesn't work for either of you yeah because she might feel a bit of, a bit she, of she would feel that she was holding me back she would feel um you know and i would like it or not probably feel kind of resentful of of that you know even though it's not her greed it would have been my own decision um, and so, you don't want to carry it either. Yeah. Like you don't want to carry I don't wanna, the baggage. I don't want to carry the baggage. She doesn't want to carry the baggage. Yeah. So, yeah. So I went. 
Um, yeah, basically because of her philosophy of just doing things. Um, yeah, don't don't put them on the bucket list. Don't say I'm going to do it in, um, <laughs> which um, now is is oddly, um, you know, fast forward to I DNF'd in the Silk Road Mountain Race. Um, did uh, 1106k on course and then i shortcutted the course so that i could you know get a good tour in because i wasn't going to make the next checkpoint essentially and uh i did get another uh, you know a good tour in i did have a a great time there um and um Everybody asks me since then, are you going back? Are you going back? And for the first couple of months, <laughs> I've been there before. I was, I was saying, I was saying maybe in a couple of years, maybe in a couple of years. And, you know, uh, through, through planning my mom's funeral and stuff, um, there was that overarching theme of, um, you know, don't wait till you're retired. Don't wait till you're, until it comes up on your bucket list. Don't wait until whatever, because you might be too old by then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah, Tanya's been saying, well, you know, if you wait two years, you might be too old. <laughs> and so there is a chance I go back next year. I'm I'm still kind of thinking two years, but there's a chance. So, I mean, that we should all heed that kind of advice, right? Because I think the, 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 the idea of, of like working hard and putting the money away so that you can do X, Y, and Z when you're quote retired. Um, it's just not realistic. I don't think. And then, and then, you know, there's, there's, how old are you? Can I ask you? 56. So you're 56. I'm like going to be 53 in the summer. And it's like, I can always, I can already, the, despite trying to eat healthy and keep moving, I can feel the, the aches. I woke up the other day and my, my elbow, I was like, I have a tennis elbow. Like, where did that even come from? <laughs> I haven't been doing anything, you know? And so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to be a lot more aware of um, just how things just kind of pop up in your life physically your health can change so much and yeah and it's like the, the longer you wait it's it's like it's, it, you're not getting fitter like you're not getting necessarily younger you know your, your recovery is not improving yeah the older we get and recovery is actually declining i mean i only speak for myself i think i'm gonna help I'm oh, oh yeah too. steve steve my my recovery is totally getting faster yeah <laughs> <laughs> like well you're like well, i'm up for another ride you just wrote 150k it's like oh my god I, I, I am I am a really fit fifty six year old, yeah. but exactly like you, there's there's no stopping the the march of time, and anybody who thinks that they're going to escape the march of time is is deluding themselves. Yeah. You know, I you know my goal is still to make it to one hundred six and be walking, but. Um, I'm not guaranteed that. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Not even guaranteed tomorrow. 
Yeah. So, um, so I think that that advice is 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 so so important. Yeah. To heed because it's like you know if if you can find the time or make the time to disappear on an adventure, and then the other thing too is it doesn't have to be a month away in yeah in Asia. It could be it could be like three days down to to Whitefish Bike Retreat or something like that. It, you know, it can be it, it can be a weekend, you know, in in the mountains. It can be, you know, it can be four hours riding laps at the park. Yeah. Um, you know, I riding riding laps on the lake this weekend. I got into that, you know, that same, you know, it took me a few laps to kind of. Um, get into the groove but then after that i was in that same kind of flow state of of uh hey this is you know this is riding my bike that's some people call it meditative and and maybe it is um i i get different things from meditating but uh definitely on the bike it was just like yeah, I'm, I'm just riding my bike. I'm, I'm, I didn't have to think about anything except riding my bike. I, the thoughts that pop into my head are less intrusive in their level of anxiety that they bring with them mm. where, you know, you always have, um, you know, after somebody you love dies, you always have those moments of anxiety. Oh, why didn't I spend more time with mm -hmm. them? Why didn't I, you know, why didn't I give them more credit? Why didn't I tell them I love them? Why didn't, you know, there's all the, the you know, what ifs and um, the guilt associated with it. I, I know it's, you know, it's one of those steps of grief. Everybody does it to some degree. Um, but when you're out riding the bike, they're, they're less intrusive and you can kind of relegate them to the past. It's, you know, I can't change it. Um, might as well accept it and look at, you know, look at the good things. Look at the good times. Look at the... You know, think back to the, uh, you know, doing a lap of the reservoir, riding bikes with my mom. And she had been convinced that if she got to the hill and had to walk her bike up the hill, that it was, you know, kind of a failure. And I'm like, well, mathematically, it's, it's the same amount of energy. Mm. You're, you're just... You know, you're working less hard for longer, but, you know, it's the same amount of energy to get you and your bike to the top of the okay. hill. Yeah. And so it's it's not a failure. It's a success. Yeah. You know, if you, you know, if you don't give up, if you get off your bike and, and push your bike to the top of the hill, that's not giving up in any way, shape, or form. It is mathematically the same as riding your bike up. Um. And so, yeah, you, you look back on those times, um, 
And she said that was that was a groundbreaking revelation to her where she hadn't thought about it in those terms. And so you think back on those times where, like, you know, pretty much everybody you know at some point has given you that kind of a gift or you've given them that kind of gift where you've made them look at something in a slightly different way mm -hmm. and you know you you affect them they affect you you know i mean my mom's my mom she taught me how to walk she taught me how to talk yeah. but that doesn't mean you can't teach her or yeah yeah too, exactly right? so we you know when i look back on those times of sharing um that gives me you know great satisfaction and you know when you're just doing those mindless laps on the bike it it blunts the edge off the bad stuff and helps you to just sort of think about the good times and think about you know the meals you shared together the 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 fun you had together it's interesting you talk about that it's really interesting the 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 blunting the edge or blunting the point of the thoughts because i remember on the divide you know that was kind of pre-separation for me yeah you know, on the demise of, of a marriage to someone and and i remember stopping in new mexico new mexico was really dark emotionally dark and i remember sitting on the log just eating and i recorded a video i gotta find it because it was it's a long one but i was i was basically thinking out loud you know what to expect when i get back and what this all means and and it's true that as, as dark as the moment was and as, as heavy as the thoughts were about the likelihood of, you know, the relationship falling apart and going through separation and divorce and, and um, it was, you're in a place more of um, maybe reconciliation, like it's more of a reconciling space rather than a, rather than a telling yourself these stories and regret and, and resentment and all this stuff it's you're in a better place to actually process things which i think is why maybe so many people are i mean there's a there's a balance there because i think a lot of people get into endurance stuff as an escape which i would admit i've probably done quite a bit an escape from reality an escape oh yeah into some other you know thing but also i think a lot of people find that that space um especially at like a, a multi-day event. And I, and I use the term, quote, I race the tour divide. I use that very loosely because I was like, you know, back mid-pack kind of, kind of athlete, but it's like, it's still, it's still as you're putting yourself in a, in a, in a, in a, in a space that, that's so, everything else just, around you is just attenuated, right? Like yeah. the, the stories you tell yourself are maybe a bit more gentle or, maybe you speak more kindly to yourself in those moments or yeah it's, it's interesting I resonate with yeah because your your whole your being is is engrossed in riding the bike and so those thoughts are you can be dispassionate in observing those thoughts and you don't have to think as yeah, it it takes the edge off. You don't have to um, 
focus on them and and let them spiral out of control because oh i gotta make a minor correction on my bike or oh i have to shift my position a little and you know and make my feet go round. did your mom pass away before you went or after 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 i came back um about a month after i came back um and uh so end of september she died and um yeah i ended up doing because i'm the last of our uh siblings left in town uh i ended up doing a bunch of like funeral planning stuff um which it did don't get me wrong i i highly recommend as a part of it's it's a great way to grieve um in that it's it's very intense and you have to immediately jump ahead to seeing the every positive aspect of you know i i had to see every pos- positive aspect of my mom's life right away because I had to talk about them at the funeral and I had to talk about, you know, um, you know, what made her special. Um, cause you know, for starters, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. And also she was not the kind of woman who wanted to have the dirty laundry aired, you know, at her, at her memorial. That's nobody wants that. And, um, you know, and she, she was a great mom, but yeah, that whole process of settling into, you know, speaking at her funeral made me think about the good times right away. Um, and, and that really helped me. Um, yeah, it's, um, it it a hundred percent was was a um yeah was was something that really worked for me. Do you think that you were in a better place after returning to Sam to be able to handle all that stuff? Do you think that 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 journey prepared you for that? I I think yeah I I think because we knew she was dying, we did have some time to start grieving while she was still around. And, um, you know, even though she was very dismissive of, um, you know, nobody gets to be sad, um, because I'm not, um, <laughs> it's, it works, Mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I kept telling her that I kept telling her, he, no, 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 no. I, you know, what I want is for them to find a cure tomorrow and, uh, for you to be around and healthy forever. But, um, you know, so I get to be sad and, and I'm, yeah, I'm totally okay with being sad and I have, I have my moments of, uh, of sadness and, um, but, you know, we got to start that ahead of time and kind of being alone with my thoughts in Kyrgyzstan also helped that um or moved along 
I, I won't say helped it um, because I I don't think it, it you can't you can't ever prepare yourself for somebody you love to go. Um, but at the same time, it it helped. I would I would think that the the, <clears throat> the distraction or the attenuation of everything else going around in your life at that moment enabled you to maybe um, uh, progress through the grieving process. For sure. Maybe a little easier. Like quicker is kind of not the right word to use, but just just maybe go through the process a little a little better, maybe more. Yeah, or or just differently. Yeah. And um yeah, I I definitely I I ended up at that end point of thinking back on the happy memories. Now, I mean, it also helps that she was a good mom. Um, if she had died with us on bad terms, that's, that's a whole different world. Um, but in my case, you know, she was, she was a great mom to me. Um, she did, yeah, she was supportive. She did everything a great mom, uh, should be. And, and you know, sometimes that was give your head a shake, Doug. Uh, yeah. It's not all <laughs> unicorns and rainbows, but but you know, it's it's yeah. And and that's what that's what puts you on good terms is is honesty. Yeah. You don't you don't get to be, you know, you, you don't get to to um, to lie to your kids and you know tell them they're you know Olympic athletes when they're not. Or tell them that they're really good at school when they're not, you know, people see through that. And so she always encouraged me to work to my strengths, encouraged me to work on my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, that helps. You get a lot more happy memories out of that than you would out of, you know, the, uh, the abusive parent or the, the, you know, like it it's easier to be happy that you had a good mom than than that you had a crappy one what i'm seeing it as as i age and and as i you know meet different people and, and go through different relationships that it seems to me that the the and, and this is my my parents are still together yeah right and 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 they've had you know ups and downs and i've had fallings out with my with my with my sister with my mom you know like but in the end we're still we still come together right we still kind of make it work you know mend the fences um apologize you know forgive and move on and that that seems rare to me it, it seems to me that it's 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 like there's a lot of like really severely broken families out there um and and i, I think it's to, to be able to speak about your mom in that way it's it's like it, I, I would speak the same about my parents that way our yeah. parents are weird my kids think i'm weird <laughs> right like they they say dad this is so awkward and it's just like i i get that right but at the same time it's like um it's just been, it's been a privilege to 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 have a loving supportive family around me because it just doesn't it doesn't seem normal well, not normal so that's the wrong word it just seems rare to me 
Yeah, I I think different families are like every fam- family has their kind of dysfunction or some level of dysfunction. Yeah. And um I think, you know, if you view uh your parents' relationship or my parents' relationship or anyone's as as the ideal, I I think you're setting yourself up self up for for disappointment. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think you have to ask yourself, you know, are, are they living up to their standards? Um, you know, nobody lives up to my standards, um, hopefully except me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Cause it's just, it's, 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 there's so, there's a huge spectrum of, yeah, I guess that's the point is like, there's what I, this, this idea or this thought I heard once, it was like, um, there's like one planet, we have one Earth, and there's eight billion realities. Everyone's yeah. living a different reality. Even people who are in in a relationship together are looking at the world through different lenses, all based on whatever life experiences or trauma. Or, and then that's the other thing too. I think we've all experienced some sort of level of trauma in our lives. And you know, my my types of trauma versus someone else's we can't really compare and contrast them because because it's just, i think we all have we're all carrying traumas into our into our futures yeah from our past into our we're we're all carrying our own perceptions and and so when you look in at another person you know or another another family and you say well they're broken well maybe they're not broken maybe they're just different yeah that's and and so yeah so anyways regardless of of other people's families i'm i'm happy with mine (laughs) that was a weird tangent to take but but i just it made me you know i think that even i think as as we as we get a bit older and i I haven't i haven't personally experienced a great level of loss in my life yet and i know it's coming and by by having you know friends like you go through that it's, it's it's like having a conversation like this yeah. It prepares me to, to face not only my mortality, but the mortality of my, my loved ones as well. My, my mom, my dad, my, my sister. Right? It's it's going to happen. Yeah. Right? Eventually. And it could be me. Yeah. goes first. It could be. Right? And, and it's just, um, I think, as, as, as I get a bit older, I'm starting to face mortality a bit. A bit better. It's a bit more, it's a bit less back burner than it is when you're young. Yeah. It's kind of coming up to the front a little bit. Yeah. And especially, you know, dealing with or people in your life, like, you know, our relationship and what you've gone through and sharing this. It's like, oh, man, it's just, it, it's, it's, you're sharing wisdom right now, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just sort of want to, I, I don't want to look back, you know, if I find out, you know, tomorrow that I'm dying the following day, I don't want to look back and say, oh, you know, number one, I don't want to be saying, oh, I thought I had time. Um, cause I may not, but number two, I don't want to look back and say, Oh, what about all these things that I wanted to do? Mm. And, you know, there's, there's lots of things that I, you know, that I want to do, but I'm, I'm trying to, to do them, you know, as much as possible. Yeah. Within the constraints. You know, whatever your life is yeah some some of my some of my aspirations like i'd really like to become a doctor 
Um, but, but, um, you know, I, I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> I guess it could. They, they say you're never too old they, to start a new career. Yes, for, for sure. But, but 10 years in um, the, the biggest reason I'm not going to become a doctor is because I'm not willing to commit 10 years to medical school to become a doctor, um, on the hope in the hopes that, um, you know, 10 years from now, uh, that's what I really want. And also because it's not my first priority. (laughs) It's something I'd like to do. It's not my passion. Yeah. My passion is, you know, getting out this weekend and riding my bike in circles. That was a passionate act that, um, when, when I, uh, when I suggested it to, uh, to Tanya, she was like, awesome. I can, uh, hang around the condo and do crafts and read books and, and, uh, nobody will be, uh, bugging me for, uh, for, you know, a couple of days. And, uh, it, it ended up, she came out and, you know, skied 20 K yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> so we should talk about, we should talk about the Silk Road and we should tell people too, that we actually had a conversation. Yes. A couple months ago. A couple of months ago, we had a conversation and it was, neither of us was really prepared for how it was going to frame up. I think it was, it was too immediate and I was in the process mm-hmm. of, you know, dealing with the whole, you know, mom's dying. I, I forget if it was just before or just after my mom died, but regardless, like it was, it was mentally, I was not, um, I was not present in that conversation. No. And what's interesting too, is I take responsibility for it. As the, <laughs> as the, as the no, host. no, it's my fault, Steve. No, no, but it's funny because I remember when we finished the conversation, I remember I didn't feel good about it and I didn't feel good that uh, it, I wasn't a good conductor of that conversation. I seemed it, it was just a little bit too, and, and I often don't go in very well prepared. And I kind of like that because it, it's yeah. like meeting strangers. We're not strangers, but you know, I've got a couple podcasts coming up hopefully uh, this week. And it's like, I've never talked to these people before they came for their guest rec- recommendations. And it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, man, let's, yeah. let's do this and see where this goes. I, I really like that. I don't, and, and hopefully it doesn't show too glaringly in the podcast that I don't prepare a lot, but I just, you know, a lot of the people out there in the world don't know people that I'm going to be talking to. And so let's get to know this person in depth. So yeah. I just felt personally, I felt I didn't, I didn't do you any justice. I didn't, I didn't, we should have had more of a framework and I, I wanted you, and, and this is completely 180 to the first conversation yeah and, and I, I wanted it and I remember telling a friend it's like I just didn't didn't represent Doug very well right I didn't you know he went on this pretty profound journey he's got all this other stuff going on in his life and and so it's good to hear that you know you felt kind of the same way after I reached out to you and it was really hard for me yeah know, I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna garbage this part of this <laughs> conversation we just spent two hours talking we're gonna throw it out it's it doesn't feel like and I haven't I've done that maybe one other time yeah and uh Anyway, I I was I was fine with it because I was underprepared, and 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 distracted. It's amazing how uh, that 
all that stuff simmering in the background and just like yeah yeah you just can't can't put your finger on it why well you, you probably knew in the time why i mean you were going through all the throes of it yeah I, i'm not experiencing that with you and maybe i was insensitive to, to that and you can't like again one person's reality you, you can't understand everyone else's reality to enough of a degree to expect yourself to be sensitive to all of their nuances yeah, yeah. and yeah so i'm i'm glad we're talking to yeah, you me too. that's me too. same place i remember i was sitting in this same place i remember tanya coming up she had a tick on her neck <laughs> so i have a picture of that somewhere actually so funny that was a big and she said tanya said we're not allowed to talk for three hours and that's funny because i only had three hours on my card Oh boy! So we do have a hard limit. On okay. That's <laughs> no, fine. There's a couple hours left. Okay. Um, so tell me about Kyrgyzstan. Like, tell me about that whole. I mean, prepared for preparing for it. I think you were saying earlier um, that the Silk Road to you was like fairly outside your comfort zone. Yeah, um, definitely. And I didn't. I don't see that because I see you as a very experienced. Not only an experienced cyclist, like you could, you could strip your bike down to the frame in the field. Like that. Has oh yes. Nothing to do with that. Right? Yes, and I feel the same so, way. So, so yeah. So on that topic, yeah, that part of it, my my bike, my my, um, you know, packing like my your... my kit and stuff was was pretty dialed. Um, maybe I was maybe carrying more than I should have. Um, in hindsight, um, part of that was because I had sort of built up this fear around eating local food and, um, it, oh, is that your stomach? <laughs> I think I could pick that up on the <laughs> Should we break and eat? <laughs> yeah. You, you were, you were thinking about the diet I, there. I, the I was out. thinking about the diet <laughs> there and my, yeah. Um, no, um, I, I ended up, um, yeah, packing more, more food than I needed to and, um, and depending less on, you know, things I found when I was on the way. Um, but yeah, I, I did bleed a pair of, uh, Shimano brakes, uh, actually just bled the front one. Um, they weren't working above, uh, about 3000 meters of elevation uh they would they would pump up um there was just some air bubbling to the surface kind of thing with the with the high altitudes um so i i bled a shimano brake with um a cap from a, a water bladder like um a, a platypus bladder um, so oh, you just, did this in the field? just like a drinking cap <laughs> and, and there was in Kyrgyzstan, um, there was these roadside, um, you could buy, you know, like just a little stand on the side of the road, um, with a canopy over the front. Um, you could buy, you know, whatever was leaking out of your car. Um, and, um, so the, the Kyrgyz people would stop at one of these places and get a liter of oil or a liter of, and, and Audis are super popular in Kyrgyzstan. And I knew that, um, Audi power steering fluid 
was close and uh, it's mineral oil. Yeah, <laughs> it 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 is close enough to to Shimano mineral oil that it worked. Um, so I I bought it. It only came in one liter bottles. I I bought the one liter bottle. You need what like a hundred mils? I I, <laughs> I I needed like maybe three mils. Oh, three. Like I I was getting a couple couple bubbles out of my break, um, but um, so I I bled my break and put the cap back on and I handed this guy back the you know the now nine hundred and ninety eight <laughs> milliliter bottle of, of brake fluid. Did just resell it? Yeah. Um, I hope, hopefully he, he could resell it. I'm, I'm pretty sure the, uh, the rules in, in Kyrgyzstan are a little le- yeah, less, a little looser. And how did, you, how did you get it to fit? Like, did you have, I, I just kind of held it on like a friction fit. Um, Shimano's bleed top down, right? Is that right? They, they bleed top down. So you can, uh, what's called bubble bleed them. Right. So you basically put a funnel on top of your brake. I've since then bought an official um, field bleeding funnel from a company in New Zealand called, I forget what, um, the bikepacking.com reviewed it. And uh, I had somehow not realized that this thing existed or I would have brought one. Um, but yeah, exactly like you said, I can I can strip down a bike to bare parts. and um, And I know I can ride kind of all day every day um what i can't do however is um ride all day every day after being sick for two days and and not eating for you know really two and a half days of of essentially no food intake and did you get sick when you arrived Uh, no i I was kind of paranoid about getting sick, so I ate a lot of bread and cheese for my first three oh, days. No. <laughs> so, so then I was constipated, and um, then I was I was trying to eat some some stuff that was a little more varied, like had some fruits and vegetables, and um, I I accidentally bought. I'd heard apricots are a big uh, crop there. And I saw these fruits at a roadside stand um, that looked like apricots, um, but turned out were nectarines. Um, I'm very allergic to nectarines. Oh, no. <laughs> but, but it was worth, um, my, my tongue was, was swollen and numb for about six hours, but that nectarine was the best tasting fruit i have ever ever <laughs> tasted been missing out, i i have allergy. i have been missing out with that allergy because <laughs> it was so good but that at, gets things moving um sugar in that, the uh yeah the sugar and the fiber in in fruits and also because i'm allergic to it i can't really digest it so that that kind of got things moving um and i thought i was fine the first day of the race uh, and I didn't have any problems until the second morning when I woke up and I was, I was nauseous and had, um, the other end too. <laughs> and, um, the purge. Yeah. So I, so I was not eating, um, that day or the day after. And, uh, 
I got to the first checkpoint and they had, you know, some super delicious food that, um, yeah, I was, you know, I didn't have the, the night I got there and then I slept in a guest house and, um, the guest house's outhouse was out the door through the, the barnyard with the cows and stuff in it out the back gate across the alley and, <laughs> and there was the outhouse and I had to make several trips that night so I didn't get a great sleep you should have just pitched out by the house I, I should have just yeah I should have just um I should have actually continued on and and then uh you know there's there's always a spot in the countryside <laughs> wow and um then I um the that morning I did feel better so I ate some of the some of the checkpoint food um which was so yummy um everything tastes good when you're deprived right yeah everything tastes good when you're deprived but it, it was also like you know people who were manning the checkpoint talked about how great the food was and they weren't riding their bikes (laughs) so yeah um it was it was really good but um i yeah i continued on and i was still still off my game and i only got you know probably 500 calories in that day um so um the yeah by the by the fourth day i was just dead (laughs) just um so you know i'd i'd sort of ride my bike for you know 10 or 15 minutes and you know take a two-minute break or a five-minute break or just just no yeah and my my power output um was was way down was half what my normal all-day power is um and um that that was kind of the downside to having a power meter on my bike was Uh I, i a constant reminder a constant <laughs> reminder of how underpowered i was and yeah. and no nobody will ever tell you that you can ride your bike all day um you know i mean i i i was in no danger going into the race of of winning or being top 10 or anything but um under my normal circumstances i i could have easily finished within the time limit um and but that that's that wasn't my biggest slowdown (laughs) my my biggest slowdown was um i think day nine i um had trouble finding what was called the old soviet road on the uh route description um, now it was the old Soviet road 40 years ago when it was like a military path over the mountains. Um, so think bulldozers pushing tanks up the mountain. That's the level of road. It was, it was the steepest alleged road I've, <laughs> I've ever been on. Um, and, and it was really just a vague imprint in the grass um so where i was looking for you know something that you could maybe drive uh, a lot on um it was not 
and uh, so you're on the line. So so I made so I so I I um, I kind of went the wrong way for almost an hour, and then I realized I was off route. Like my my route was slowly diverging from the actual route, and I realized after about an hour that no, I was I was uh, I was off route, and uh, my my computer had also reset. Um, the night before in a, um, in a thunderstorm, I don't know if it was the rain on it or if I accidentally pressed a button or if I, I don't know, but I no longer had the route. Oh. <laughs> um, or I, I no longer had the parts of the route that I had been on, uh, separate from the parts that I was to go on. So you didn't have the breadcrumbs to go yeah. back. I, well, I I did I didn't have the breadcrumbs to know that I was going back. Right. So yeah, so I went about an hour in the wrong direction, then realized that I made a mistake. Went back to the uh, the crossroads and found the vague imprint of the grass that was the actual trail, and uh, climbed up and got to the top. Um, the old Soviet road the top of the of the mountain is like a rolling plateau it was super nice riding i was riding along it was you know rolling hills gorgeous uh scenery you know big rocks everywhere and and uh as i'm riding along um i i hit some barbed wire (laughs) wrapped around my foot um so um I, I wouldn't have even realized that I had punctured my tire in at least four spots if um, if I hadn't had to stop and unwrap the barbed wire from my foot, which also was miraculously unpunctured. Yeah, thankfully. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I unwrapped the barbed wire from my foot, uh, watched the tires self-seal them at themselves, and I was super happy. Um, you know, the, the, um, the happiness that comes from those little strokes of good fortune. Um, yeah, you can't understate that. It's, it's, it's like, wow, (laughs) (laughs) everything works. My plan, my plan is coming together. Uh, so, you know, I, I knew I was behind the, uh, they they show a snail on the progress map. It's like the broom on the uh, yeah. on the divide, um, and that's you know the the snails. If you're not going to make the cutoffs, and I knew I was a little behind the snail, but it was you know I was I was faster than it, so I was going to catch up, no problem. I was um, I was awesome, and then uh, I got down into the valley and there was a crossroads and I was kind of thinking I was supposed to go straight and um, my map showed either left or straight some guy came by in a van and he was he had the most English of anybody I had ever met on the trail in in Kyrgyzstan and he said Silk Road Mountain Race it's totally that way for sure that way I was like, I'm not positive. He's like, nope, for sure, hundred percent for sure. <laughs> and he was right. Um, but that's the way I had been the night before. Oh, 
right. I was. Did you do some really big loop? There was there was a loop in there. It it wasn't really big. It was it was you know maybe fifty um, ish k, but um, yeah. So I so I went the you know I went his way, um, and I was I was not sure. Um, but I went his way and I was riding and I didn't recognize any of it because I had ridden it the night before in the dark in a thunderstorm. And so all of the bike tracks had been more or less erased. And so, yeah, I just kept riding. And, uh, then I got back to the checkpoint too. That you had already been to? That I had already been to. Oh man. And so he was right, kind of. He, he, was, he was totally right. Yeah, he was, he was totally right. Uh, what he was not aware of was that it was also straight. It was, it was not just left, it was straight. Oh, man. And, you know, it, it just sort of a, um, my, my lack of experience navigating uh, with that computer. Um, I had been using Kamut as a backup on my phone um and for whatever reason that stage wouldn't start on Kamut, even though i had i had downloaded it on my phone um so it would be available offline but it wouldn't start i don't know if the file was corrupted or if i didn't download it correctly or why but it wouldn't start so it wasn't giving me the turn by turn directions um we put a lot of faith in these devices we do so we do and and uh I, I i had brought a paper map um but um i i own uh, a photo printer and um it has waterproof ink um and and waterproof paper uh, for some reason i i printed my map on regular office paper and that disintegrated in a oh. rainstorm on the first night <laughs> And it's one thing that that happens, like, there's there's a level, of, a way higher level of, of anxiety when you're on a different continent. Yeah. I haven't experienced that. But even being in the States and riding stuff in the States, it's just, you, it's unfamiliar. You don't know where you are. And it gives you anxiety. Am I going the right way? And, yeah. And, but in another country, like in another, on another continent. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, my God. It's stressful. So there was, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, there was a lot of, you know, um, yeah. Where, where the heck am I? Anyways, I, I set up my, cause it, you know, started pouring rain. As soon as I saw the checkpoint, it started pouring rain. So I, I set up my tent and, and cried for a while. <laughs> and so then I, I messaged Tanya and I messaged Nelson, the race organizer. Um, you know, basically I, I figured that was it. My race was over. Um, Nelson wrote back, well, you know, that's, that's a lousy place to try and scratch from because mm. it's, it's like a, a yurt camp overlooking, a you know, a, a valley and, and, uh, it, it's really beautiful, but the only people there are people on tours who are guests at the yurt and the staff for the yurts and stuff. So there's, lots of people in the valley but none of them are gonna give you a ride right. um so lousy place to scratch from and he's like maybe you can make it up 
And so I thought, well, maybe I can make it up. So I turned back and, uh, but I, I'd effectively, you know, I'd ridden, you know, five hours in the wrong direction and then three hours to get me back to where I was supposed to be on top of my hour in the wrong direction in the morning. Um, you know, I was now nine hours behind the snail or nine hours plus behind the snail. Um, and I, I didn't have it in me to make up that level of, of lost time. Um, but I tried, I, I did, um, I did continue on for a couple hundred more K. Now I did get some fearsome, 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 like, um, blowing me off my bike level headwinds. Um, <laughs> that, that the, kick, kick you while you're down, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, um, yeah, just it's, it's wide open. There's, there's not a, this whole section of the country has not a tree in sight and it's wide open. And, um, so yeah, the, the headwinds just when they're blowing, they, they blow on you. There's no hiding on a, on a narrow trail. Um, yeah. So I made it to a town called Bayatov. And by then it was obvious to me that I, I was, you know, the snail was, you know, two days ahead of me by then it, it had gained ground mm. while I was fighting the headwind. So there, you know, I, I wasn't catching up for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, and so rather than flog a dead horse, I decided to, um, shortcut and at least see some of the reputed you know nicer spots on the trail um the uh the lake whose name eludes me at the moment um at checkpoint three was was otherworldly it's it's like um this it's on a plateau so it's a fairly shallow lake uh, like a basin and um yeah it's just beautiful you you look around and it's surrounded by low well they're they're actually high mountains from the other yeah. side but <laughs> but they're low on this on the side where you are and uh er everywhere you go in kyrgyzstan there's some kind of livestock grazing and and then there's a bunch of guest yurts and and um and then actual so the the people in Kyrgyzstan, the rural people, are um, nomadic herders, so they set their yurt up somewhere for the summer. Um, I, I'm unaware if they move them during the summer or if they... I, I know that sometimes they're not in the same spot from year to year to year. But um, then they um, have their, their herd of, of livestock and they go out every morning um, and take them to a pasture somewhere. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's, it's kind of neat to see these, uh, you know, whether they're cattle or sheep or whatever, um, or horses or, um, just kind of everywhere on the countryside. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see the life experience of another culture and then what, what those people need to do to, 
to survive day to day. Yeah, and it's it's um, you know it's kind of cool. They'll they'll um, they're not like um, not like um, the the Amish or anything. Like they'll have cell phones and and they'll you know they'll ride their horse. You know they'll set their their herd up in the, in the spot for the day, and then they'll ride up to the top of of the nearest mountain because they know they can get cell reception there. Right. <laughs> and um, then they'll um, you know then they'll ride back down and and continue on with their work. So you're able to reframe it. Sound like pretty easily. Like was yeah, it, was I it could... difficult to to shift gears and, and turn it into a tour rather than yeah i i don't know if i was as successful at touring as um as i was doing you know i mean the fact that i made it you know over 10 days still in in at least you know 10 or 11 days still in kind of kind of race mode um was um i i felt good about that um and yeah, I, I wasn't as good at shifting down into touring mode. And um yeah, that I mean it it was it was great because I got to see, you know, some some cool valleys that weren't even on the race route. Um you know, kinda was kinda like get up in the morning and ride wherever I wanted to. And then uh, I eventually made my way into a, a town that, you know, so I wouldn't have to ride the last stretch of highway back into uh, the uh, into the finish line. And I did that and um, yeah, checked checked into um, checked into a hotel there and, um, you know, got to um, applaud for some of the last yeah. razors coming in. That's cool, too. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty neat to to see the people who it also for me it was kind of neat to see that most of the people that I thought um were were sure to finish uh did finish. Um, you know, some of them in in um in amazing times. It was a it was a fairly fast race by Silk Road. Uh, mountain race standards um in that uh the front runners and the mid pack got very reasonable weather mm. um very very yeah very reasonable conditions very reasonable weather um and yeah a lot of people went in really prepared mm. uh really well prepared and so yeah so most of the people that that I saw at the start that I thought, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's a sure thing. Um, did, you know, with a couple of exceptions, there's always, you know, tragedies that, that befall. There were a, a few people who had, um, um, yeah, stomach I issues or injuries or crashes or, you know, just logistics issues. So obviously you learned tons. Yeah. What are like the top like two three things that you're gonna do differently when you go back? When you go back? Yeah. 
Um, definitely, um, I'm going to carry less food from the start on the assumption that I'm, I'm a lot more confident that I can just, you know, get by on, on what I, that I can find enough food that I'm willing to eat, um, that I can get by on that. Um, then, um, I would say, I would say that I, I talked to a few people about navigation after the race. Cause I, I knew that navigation was, I knew going in that navigation was kind of a, um, a bit of a weak spot for me in that, uh, you know, I came, I came up in the, in the map and compass world <laughs> and, and, um, you know, um, uh, until really until six months before the race, I, I wasn't really even paying that much attention to using a bike computer. Mm. I, you know, I, um, I don't really, I don't care that much about it. Um, and you know, even on tours I've been on, um, with, um, like I went, bikepacking in the Chilcotins with my friend Vic, I, I plugged his maps into my GPS. Um, I, I didn't even turn on my GPS, I think till day three, just following Vic around. <laughs> just, just following Vic around. <laughs> um, because you know, he, he had a route, he had a route planned. And, uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, call it lazy, call it whatever. I knew I could pull out a map and, and compass and, you know, find our way out of there if we really needed to, but we never really needed to. And, uh, you know, so, you know, if if you're allowed to be lazy like that, you never develop the good navigation habits. Man, we talked about, like, me driving to Calgary, right? Yeah. I could not do it without Google Maps. Yeah. And uh, the place I was staying... This uh, woman, Patty, was like, well, how are you going to go back? How are you going to go back? You should take the 201X to the bup, bup, bup. I'm like, I mm-hmm. don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand the words you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Gonna, I'm going to plug in my address where I want to go into my iPhone. Yeah. Google Map. And it's going to tell you where to go. Like, it was just so, like, and I, I should, and that's the other thing. It's like you tend to stare at the screen rather than paying attention yeah. to the signs you're passing. And, and that's totally me. It's so bad when I'm driving. Like, yeah, I think if the GPS went down, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah, so turned around so so conveniently in in Kyrgyzstan, there's almost no signage. Well, yeah, of course. And yeah. and uh, you're 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 in the mountains, in the middle of nowhere, in you know on roads that maybe haven't actually been maintained in you know ten, twenty, thirty years, yeah. um, and so if there was signage at one point, it may not be there anymore. Um, and yeah, you, you definitely can't rely on, on any kind of signage. Um, and I was trying to conserve power because that, so that that's, that's my next big tip is don't power. power <laughs> uh, well, so don't don't bring a power. No, no. I was I was trying to conserve uh, power on my electronic devices yeah. because 
Um, I had a, a, you know, I had a charger, um, and I could charge things, but I couldn't charge everything. And so I, I would limit, um, to be honest, my plan for next time is probably going to be, um, iPhone with maybe a, um, um, you know, one of my bike computers as a, as a backup. I have, I have a couple of good bike computers, including the, the hammerhead that I was using as my main, but I think my main navigation is actually going to be on my phone with, um, one of the other racers showed me an app called map out. Um, it's like six bucks and it's awesome. It has like maps for everywhere in the world. Um, did you have a pedal cell? Is that what you were using? So I had a pedal cell and it, it did generate a fair amount of power. Um, and it was, uh, there was a, a super advantage in that there was no drag when I, you could just lift it off the wheel and, and lock it out. And so there was no drag. And also when it was in that position, um, the day I hit, uh, really bad peanut butter mud, um, it didn't clog me up. You know, I, I, my, my wheels didn't clog up until they actually clogged up in the fork. Um, they didn't clog up in the generator. Um, not that that's a problem with dinos, but, um, the, the pedal cell worked well. Um, I'm not, I'm not convinced that I won't use a dyno hub next time. Did pedal cell go out of business with us? I do not know. Hmm. I do not know. Oh, I, I had not read that because, um, yeah. Um, regardless, my, um, my pedal cell worked well and I was happy with it, but, um, I, I still like, there's, there's no way you can take that, you know, you know, five to 10 Watts of, of power from your dyno and translate it into keeping lights charged and, uh, two computers charged and a phone charged and, a um, whatever else you want. Like you just, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I'm going to be conservative with my power and you know just not use so much of it and have less devices that I'm depending on or fewer devices that I'm depending on um so that I can you know I can run them for the for the whole race um and uh I'll take advantage of anywhere I I um my plan was to just camp out every night. Yeah. And, and I think that's a good plan. Um, if you then take into account that there's no place to charge in your tent right. at night. Yeah. So either bring more power banks or, um, you know, plan to stop, like have a hard stop. Like I'm for sure going to stop in, say Naren, which is about halfway. Um, for sure going to stop in Naren 
and I'm for sure going to get a room in the hotel, and I'm not going to leave until my devices are charged. Yeah, which could be like eight hours, right? Yeah. Like a 20,000 milliamp hour battery takes about eight hours yeah. to charge. And so, yeah, charge in the hotel room, sleep in the hotel room, shower in the hotel room, and then be on your way. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do that. When I rolled into Naren, it was like, you know, five in the afternoon. Um, and I, I didn't stop. Um, and so then I was playing the game of, uh, of navigation roulette where I knew that I had no turns for oh. say 30 so K shut it down, shut it, down. <laughs> shut it all down. Yeah. I've never had yeah. to do that. Yeah. I, so I just went through my DMs. Yeah. And, uh, I, I seem to remember that, but yeah, um, I, I, I saw a post from them that said they were closing their doors and I reached out just to say that I'm sorry to hear that and said um, yeah thanks for your kind words eight years of hard work has come to a close but we don't regret a second of it thanks again for featuring us on the podcast I did a podcast with yeah them. yeah I remember you doing a podcast with them and that was what put them on my radar yeah and you know what it just seemed it makes sense to me you know that that, that idea of having this kind of like uh, modular charging system that you could engage and I think too like running running a motor you're gonna be able to run a little electric motor a lot faster on the circumference of a wheel than you are from the center you would know yeah you're like an engineer so you know electronically they they work out um ever so slightly their big gain in efficiency was not in any of that because you know you can you can gear something like that up or down Mm. and um or or put more windings on it and so no matter what you do your your power you know your power that you're stealing from the rider is limited by you know just riders can't put out in infinite power so um you know pretty much six to ten watts is kind of how much power you get um, or three to ten watts is how much power you get and they're their big efficiency gain was in better matching to a USB output. Right. Because they were not putting out an AC voltage that was designed to run a German official standard light. Um, They're putting out um, essentially something optimized to uh, run a USB port at DC. DC five. Well, they're they're putting out AC rectifying it and mm-hmm. impedance matching That's it. What that brick is right. That's the yeah. Right. And so all their electronics was designed to make things into five volts. And realistically, um, as an electronics designer, you can you can gain some efficiency um, by doing that but you're probably better off starting with an existing known and reliable dyno hub and rectifying that in a more efficient way. Um, and there, there's people doing that. The new, um, the new K lights and the, um, the newer sine wave, the sine wave mini is, is just smaller but the sine wave rectifier works really well as a as a charging source. Yeah, because I couldn't charge my 
phone with a K-Lite brick. It wouldn't do it. it. I don't know if it's not. It's, it, maybe the, the power it's putting out isn't clean enough. I, I think I think just not enough mm. power to consistently power uh, power and because you're powering the phone as well as charging it at the same time, right. so and it's just it's just not enough power. the The iPhones are designed to be able to charge quickly on a high current USB, right. and so you're much better off charging a smaller power bank. The larger power banks, again, they're they're power hungry. They want to charge in eight hours, and you know if you do the math, the the watts aren't just right. just aren't there. I was able to keep mine pretty topped up. I wouldn't use them yeah. all the time, but you know if I knew it was going to be pretty mellow, say flat or a lot of downhills on a day. Yeah. Yeah. Plug in the, the cash battery on like a thirty k downhill. You can like feed that. Pretty Oh yeah. 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 You definitely. And that's where I, that's where I gained the most power was yeah. Charging, charging those cash batteries. You should design a, some sort of charging system, Mr. Engineer. Yeah, I probably should. (laughs) (laughs) It's, um, you know, I'm, I'm still of course going to be limited by, um, how, you know, how much, power comes out how much power you can steal from the rider to charge stuff with it's funny i remember when i first got my 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 dyno hub i would uh had the bike in the stand and you just spin the front wheel right and you can kind of hear it you can kind of hear the the i guess it's the magnetic resistance right yeah motor it's technically a motor right it's totally a motor so you're spinning that motor and then you would like um turn the light on and it'd be like, you can hear like yep. the, the the resistance go up, and then you plug in like a cash battery and run the light at the same time, and it's like oh, there's yeah. so much resistance. So you really have to pick your pick your poison. Yeah, you know, like uh, like basically you're not charging anything at night. Right? Yeah, and I learned that I, I kind of forgot it. I was on the buckshot, and I was riding with my buddy Daryl, and I was like, man, my uh, my light's not super bright. It's really weird. It was not brown, but it wasn't as bright because it'll put yeah. out like 1,300 or 1,500 lumen at 15K an hour kind of thing. And uh, he's like, well, were you charging your computer? Because I was charging my just my little Wahoo, right? That yeah. little tiny thing made all the difference. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm charging it. I unplugged it, and the light just went, poosh, just came on super all, bright. All of a sudden, you've got light. Yeah. So, yeah, so imagine you were also trying to, you know, um, you know, charge – a whatever an iphone <laughs> oh yeah yeah There's no way. It, there was no way and i never plug my iphone into the dyno always another cash battery yeah well that's cool man like that's you know despite it not maybe going the way you wanted it to congratulations i mean that's it's an awesome journey right yeah it it was yeah oh i i've been framing it uh as the most successful dnf ever <laughs> And Especially I mentally and emotionally, right? It must have yeah. been great. You got you got overseas. You got to do a wicked tour. Yeah, and I I think it was. I think I think that's accurate. I think I was I was, um, you know, I got to see somewhere I'd never been. I got to experience, um, you know, I I've been to you know I've been to Asia and I've been to, um, Eastern Europe on uh, work trips before, but. If you're going to a city and a lab and a, a whatever, they're the same the world over. Yeah. Whereas this is out there in the wilderness, 
Um, and so that was so different from, you know, the, the Canadian Rockies wilderness that I'm mm. very familiar with, yeah. um, that, uh, it, it was a super impressive, um, um, eye opener, um, you know, weird little things like the horizon there on the plateaus was so far away um and the plateaus are not perfectly flat i mean there'd be a river running beside me and i'd be wondering why it was so hard to ride on this basically flat plateau um you know why am i going so slow and then i'd look over and and notice that the river water was running against me and it was rapids you know right <laughs> But my brain had just flattened the horizon. Yeah. That's like rail grade stuff, right? Yeah. It's, it's so demoralizing. Yeah. It's it was then this was even steeper than rail grade sure. stuff, but my brain, you know, uh turned it into the prairies. Because you, you just see it over, uh, yeah. over such a distance. And so um yeah, that that was a a big eye opener for me. Um in that, you know, I, I've trained my brain to flatten out the prairies <laughs> and, and then um you know seeing you know everything everything about the the herding culture uh seeing the working dogs that was you know every dog you meet there is is a herding dog it's a um you know it's part guard dog part herding dog and um so they're they're very intense. They're not like, you know, come here, buddy. You know, I'll give you a scratch. Like you're wild, feral yeah. kind of dogs. Uh, not not feral. Yeah, not not feral, but definitely very, um, uh, very much more independent and and less dependent on, uh, you know, they're not the not the lab coming up to <laughs> more hardened. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, yesterday on the lake, I, I met a few dogs that, you know, literally, you know, jumped up on me wanting to play and, uh, you know, and you could stop and, and pet just about any dog you ran across. Whereas they're, that's, they're out there for business. <laughs> no. That's cool, man. Thanks for sharing all that. I wanted to maybe pivot quick. We should talk about you as a maker and making stuff. Yeah. How did the season go? Um, so we so I make my my biggest uh my biggest seller is pogies um uh of which probably the biggest seller of those is is the uh drop bar full coverage pogies uh, a lot of people putting uh pogies on like drop bar fat bikes and other uh things like that um drop bar fat bike just seems it it does seem it's it, it it's un it's unusual <laughs> it's 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 unusual let's just say that um people riding gravel bikes and, and gravel bikes work really well in the winter in that like out on the prairies they they'll grade the road um and so you've got a a pebbly surface so you throw studded tires on a gravel bike and you know you, you don't need the flotation from a fat bike right. And they're inherently a drop bar bike. They're they're like road bikes. Um, I'm making the only 
um, full coverage so you can use all three hand positions on your bars you can use the drops you can use the the hoods um, even though I like everybody else on our road bike only ever uses the hoods um, I still like to have the other positions just for a change on a long rod yeah. um, and then I make uh, flat bar pogies and and swept like city bar type bogeys or jones bars yeah. um i make bogeys for them as well such an important piece of gear yeah it's like. it's critical and i'm i'm doing it a little differently than everybody else where i'm making them uh, longer so that blood getting to your hands stays warm mm. um you know every, everybody's got a philosophy on uh on how to make pogies and uh that that's mine but um that doesn't make everybody else's wrong i've i've recently seen um the wolf tooth came out with a version two i think uh late last year or early this year they're awesome um but totally different uh way of going about things than mine and um yeah anyways it's true though it's just kind of like high socks yeah. Or even keep your calves warm. Oh, yeah. Your feet are going to stay warm. Yeah, it's totally. And then I I also make uh, custom frame bags, and I've made um, I made one for you. You did. And uh, I've made a few for, um, you know, a, a bunch of other uh, racers or casual bike packers or um, because I only do basically custom ones. I'm seeing a lot of like weird shaped bikes or full suspension bikes where, you know, you can't get something off the shelf to fit three quarters of the triangle. It's not taken up by your shock or, um, a lot of the e-bikes have weird frames. And, uh, so I'm making a few for those. You know, what I, I say to people all the time, it's like, don't even bother buying a frame bag. Don't, I mean, let me finish don't bother buying like a stock factory frame bag, you know, like it's doesn't cost a whole lot more money to get one custom for your bike. And you're going to take advantage of the entire triangle. Like I see people jamming these weird Blackburn frame bags into their frames and they don't fit right. And they look kind of hokey and it's really not that much more money. And, yeah. and, and then you can say one, it's made in Canada. It's made by a small business, you know, it's, and, and, and it's, it's made like the one you made me, you know, I had to modify it a little bit. Yeah. It's gargantuan. It's massive. And when we, like I had my rolling tail built specifically, I wanted to maximize the triangle space because I don't have long legs. Yeah. So when you made it for me, like that's, I took that to the divide. Like, yeah. The and I wanted, I wanted to take up that whole triangle and, <laughs> and I wanted to. Um, like right up to the head too, dude. Right, like it it yeah. tucks right into the top and you don't see that very often. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a uh, it, it's a thing. And it was um, wide too, like yeah. specific. I think it's what three and a half inches wide. Or yeah, inches. it was a specific width. I forget exactly how many millimeters, but it was a specific width based on. Uh, factor yeah. yeah, and uh, awesome. yeah, we we um, and and I've made yeah I've made a few more um, before then and since then. Um, some of them with uh you know some people like in in winter i don't like to have a zipper right I, yeah i really wanted a roll top 
Yeah. Although it's kind of like, you know, my fat bike has a zipper. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've got a, a Salsa EXP bag in, yeah. my, in my milk lug, and it's a burly zipper. Yeah. Um, but what I love about the zipper is you don't necessarily have to stop. Like yeah. The rolled top, you have to stop. You have to stop. You have to unlatch it and unroll it. And uh, I, I'm finding that in my in my own bikes, although I I think for winter I will be using the roll. But it, on my like on my bike to Kyrgyzstan, I I made myself a frame bag, and uh, I tapered it so that the front had more space where my knees didn't go, mm-hmm. and also I um, I made that with zippers because I uh, I wanted the quick access that the that the zipper gives you why anyone wears stuff on their back anymore like like i every bike i have is a frame bag in it in the summer and here's the other thing this is maybe this is a bike packing tip but i i I kind of like when i see people carrying like a a bag on a a day ride a couple hours maybe right going out for a little rip and you're carrying three liters of water on your back depending on where you live i bring i bring spring a water filter with me yeah, and I can just fill in a creek, or I can bring like one bottle. I can fill it wherever. Yeah, and just save so much weight and hassle and all this crap on your back. But get a frame bag for your bike. Yeah, there's there's another Kyrgyzstan tip. Oh, it no. is um, I I brought my my water filter, uh, treatment tablets, and um, the and I and I had the capacity to carry like a ridiculous amount of water like more than nine liters and because you know i was worried that it was going to be quite arid um and it was it was quite arid but um i didn't need that much carrying capacity and um when i used it the amount it slowed me down um carrying that yeah yeah and then you, then you, you just ride by a creek anyway. Yeah, a exactly. Like, oh, there's a creek. Oh, there's a, there's a creek. I, I could have. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so I I had a couple of days, a couple of hot days where it was getting to be questionable whether I was going to make it. And, you know, I I uh, they have these irrigation ditches and I'm I'm not sure about the cleanliness of them but i had a filter and so i was i was pretty comfortable with that but next time i would you know pick a pick a method and stick with that so i'd either use the filter or the treatment tabs uh probably not the filter because um your nights are so cold that i had to prevent it from freezing Mm. to to keep it working the the filter uh, in in all those uh, micro filters, uh, the filter has enough water in it that it'll crack the membranes. When uh, yeah, so my coldest night was like minus eleven, and so I had the filter in the sleeping bag with me. Um, <laughs> your electronics, like yeah, your batteries, everything's shoved in the <laughs> yeah, shoved in my sleeping bag, and makes for a kind of a lousy sleep. So yeah. Um, you know, pick a, pick a method and, and, you know, carry a good amount of water, but you don't have to carry that much water. Yeah. It's kind of a balance, right? Yeah. You're gambling a little bit. I mean, I, on the divide, I had, um, three liter capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I had two one liter bottles and then one liter. 
and that's all I ever carried. Yeah. And yeah, it got a bit tight the further south you got. It got a bit tight. And I and oh, then I ended up just carrying strapping a, I get like a like about two liter, one and a half liter smart bottle, water bottle from the yeah. gas station, just strap that on the bars. That was my extra capacity, but I didn't need that until, like, yeah, like Southern Colorado. Yeah. You know, where it got a bit more sparse, but I don't know. That's just a gamble. Right? It is. Yeah. It is a gamble, but um, you you can you can stack the odds in your favor by, you know, sort of, I, I guess knowing a little bit about the route ahead of time helps, but also, um, you know, trust yourself a little. Yeah. Um, and if you run out of water, uh, you're, you're not going to die in one liter's worth of water no. distance. It's going to suck. It's going to suck. It's going to suck. You're going to be really thirsty when you get there, you know. Uh, so, yeah, next time I I would probably go with um, three or four liters capacity with the ability to strap, a, you know, a bottle of uh, orange pop to my uh, – a two-liter of orange pop on my bike somewhere. Yeah, yeah it's just – it's funny. It's, I, I'm certainly not the most experienced backpacker, but it's fun. Every time you go out and do something – you learn a, some, a little something more, you know, you yep. tweak your... You know, oh, yeah. Like, there's a reason why, I think, you know, you look at um, the pointy end athletes and it's shocking to me, like, how little stuff they carry, you know, but that's all from experience and confidence. Like, I know on the buckshot, Megan Hackenden had nothing on her bike. Yeah. You know, I was packed for, you know, two days, two and a half days, maybe, of stuff, and she had nothing on her bike because yeah. she was like, well... What, 381k yeah about 18 hours right exactly off pretty quick. So that's all that's that's part of it is you know if you're way faster yeah. you know if you're sofian sahili yeah. you are going to get to the next creek by the time you're getting thirsty yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah he he's amazing um, Did you get to talk to him? I got to talk to yeah. him. He was super, super generous with his time. He talked to me for several hours uh, before the race, like over the course of a couple of days. And um, he, he's popular for a reason. Um, yeah, he's he's totally uh, not a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I was I was super I was super impressed with his his outlook on the whole thing, his um you know the the whole his whole philosophy of of he he's never trash talking his competitors, he's because he knows that brings him down. Yeah. And and he's you know, he's got either the confidence or just the background knowledge or or whatever it is, um, yeah, you make everybody else feel good about your about themselves, and you act like, you know, w- w- rightfully act like they're you know serious competitors, yeah. and uh, you know, then it's all the more impressive when you win, yeah. and um, the consummate professional, right? Yeah, totally, totally. Like, you know, the the people who who are that good don't need to brag about how good they are yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. um 
let's wrap it up. So where can people find you? Uh, coldbike.com is my website. It has my blog on it. Coldbike.com slash shop has, you can buy some pogies. Um, you can find me on Instagram, coldbike. You can find me on, um, you used to be able to find me really easily on, uh, Twitter, but on the X, I sort of log in sporadically. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm on threads, uh, cold bike. I'm on Mastodon. Uh, oh, if, if you search, if you search cold bike, um, I think it's cold bike dot mstdn dot ca. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, a social media slut. <laughs> um but that that said if i'm if i'm out in the middle of nowhere um you're not gonna be able to contact me because you know um i don't have a sim card for my phone so if i'm not near a wi-fi like if i'm not at home and i'm not at work um i'm not there <laughs> intention yeah yeah it's uh because I, I I know I would slip into, uh, you know, just scrolling Instagram all the time. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. All right, thank okay. you, Steve. Bye. Bye. I want to thank Doug again for his time and thank all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I want you to remember a couple things. I want you to remember a promo code for Dynamic Cyclist, um, my longest running supporter, one of my longest running supporters here on the My Back Forty podcast. And by supporting my supporters, you support me. Um, you know, this time I left the the advertisements at the end, so I hope that's that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'm still running the code MB40. It's going to save you 25% off a Dynamic Cyclist membership. You can give that as a gift to someone you know who's um, inflexible. <laughs> but uh, strength training, stretching mobility, injury prevention, yoga, um, cycling training programs, it's all there on the palm of your hand with the Dynamic Cyclist app. So Check them out, dynamiccyclist.com. Use the promo code MB40 and you'll save 25%. Don't forget Ryan Draper at Cycling 101. He is running a code. Uh, MB40 is going to save you 50% off your first month of coaching. So if you're not happy with spring's coming, summer's coming, we're going to be ramping up to whatever events or projects we have on the go this summer. If you're not happy with your current training program, please reach out to Ryan Draper at Cycling 101 and have a chat with him. Drop the code MB40. You'll save 50% off your first month of coaching. Don't forget MB40. I use that code everywhere, so it's easy to re- easy to remember. At Redshift Sports, we'll save you 15% there. I've been running their suspension stem uh, this winter, and I love it. I actually swapped out the suspension seat post on my fat bike for a dropper post, which for me is a lot more needed because uh mr short inseam guy and trying to get off and on a bike when you're post holding in the snow is a pain in the ass so droppers are pretty handy but if you like to not experience the horrendous feeling of washboard (laughs) while you're bikepacking i highly recommend the suspension seat post i fucking love it i love that thing um, it really, really sucks up the train. And if you're riding bikepacking rig, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm riding a fully rigid rig. So it's really nice to have some suspension up front and in the back just to suck things up a little bit. So highly recommended. I also want to give a shout out to Blavet Sports. I received a care package from them the other day with a kettle helmet, their new FLT, 
um, boots. Uh, they're amazing. I, I love these boots. They're so lightweight. I see people tromping around in 45 North boots and um, <clears throat> it's way too much boot. Like, you know, we're not doing the Iditarod when we're, we're, we're traveling around here. I can see their place. But for 99% of the people out there riding bikes, all you need is a Blavet Sports FLT boot or their clip boot. Um, I really dig it. They're super lightweight, nice and roomy, and super warm. Really, really warm. And the retention system is pretty rad, too, so they don't slip around. It's like a set-it-forget-it kind of thing. You're not constantly tying up laces. So can't recommend them enough. Check out BlavetteSports.com. And I don't have a promo code for you, but just buy their shit because it's awesome. All right, I think that's all I've got. Um, don't forget feedback, guest suggestions, voice memos. Love hearing from you. Whip out your device, record me something, and send it to myback40podcast at gmail.com, and I'll put it in the show. DM me. Give me a chat. What's going on in your world? Let me know. Love hearing from you, so don't be shy. Anyway, that's all I got this week. So until next podcast, keep the rubber side down. <laughs>